Welcome to the Sober Twin Cities podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories of recovery from addiction right here in the Twin Cities. I'm your host, my name is Dustin Lee, and on today's episode, we're going to be hearing a little bit of a different perspective on my addiction and recovery. I've asked my wife, Carrie, to join us, who has no doubt seen the many different seasons of my journey. Uh, She's seen me at my best, she's definitely seen me at my worst, and today we're going to talk about what it looked like from her point of view. So, hi, Carrie. Hi, Dustin. Thanks for having me. I'm glad that we could finally make it happen because with me working full-time and doing all of the silly side projects that I get myself into and you working full-time, on top of that, us having an eight-year-old, and we only have one kid, so trying to carve out some time to do something like this um, can be a bit challenging, but yes, thank you for uh, being available for this today. So to get us started, um, of course, I know you, some of the folks listening know you, but there's probably some folks who don't know who you are. Can you give us just a little bit of your background, uh, history lesson, if you will? Sure, I can do that. So as Dustin said, I am Carrie and I am a Midwestern girl. I grew up in central Minnesota and I Grew up in a super, super small town, and I just have one brother, so we were just one small little family, and I moved to Minneapolis when I was 25, and I love Minneapolis. I think it's a great city. I hate the cold, so sometimes I'm not sure why I actually am still here, Um, but I'm a hairstylist, and I've been doing hair for my entire adult life, and I have had my own studio so I'm just a one-man show and I've been doing that for 10 years that's my gig and then I'm the wife to you and the mother to our wonderfully creative daughter June should we tell folks a little bit about how we met sure we can tell people how we met you can start okay as I just mentioned I'm a hairstylist and I met Dustin doing hair I I cut his hair At the time, we both were in other relationships, and so we really, truly just had a nice little friendship going on for probably a couple years, and then I didn't see Dustin for a while, and in that meantime, we both became single, and he sent me this very lengthy Facebook message that he swears was not that lengthy, and he asked me out, and I said yes at some point. On Thanksgiving in a snowstorm, that was our first date. Well, the reason why we're here again is to talk about my kind of up and down struggle with my dependence on alcohol and uh, going into treatment and getting things taken care of. Uh, I recently did wrap up four months of treatment and have continued to, you know, do the the necessary things post treatment to maintain my sobriety, but. Uh, The first question that I have for you, and I mean, a lot of this stuff I already know the answers to, but I think it's good for us to get it out there and share for other folks to hear. But when did you begin to notice that I had a problem? Was it early on? Was it the middle part of our relationship? You know, can you kind of give the kind of give the gist of that? To be honest, as you already know, Dustin, I grew up in the home of an alcoholic parent. My dad was an alcoholic. He got sober and has been sober for years. Um, I think he got sober 
sometime in my early teens. So I recognized and knew what to look for when somebody has an alcohol problem or an addiction problem. And I think when we were dating, I was so just incredibly like in love and blinded by that love that I was ignoring some of the signs. But I remember distinctly we were at a Cinco de Mayo celebration at the West End. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was maybe the same day as I ran a half marathon. I think it was. And we we were there. It was this party outside. There was a band and it was a fun atmosphere. And during that time, you were sort of heading down like a low with your depression. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were out there and you just kind of started like picking a fight. I think you were kind of being rude to our friends we were with. And we ended up having this big conversation that was about your depression and also about your coping skill, which was one skill. And that skill was drinking. And I feel like that was the first time that I can remember where we started having a conversation about it. But I feel like at that time, the way that we handled that was you got medicated for your depression and continued to cope also with alcohol. Yeah. And I think, um, that, that is when I went in and got medicated for depression. It didn't work very well No, the first time around. No. And if I recall the, the directions on the bottle are do not consume alcohol with this medication. And that what didn't even cross my mind. That wasn't part of the routine for me. You mentioned earlier, you noticed some habits or were looking for specific habits. Can you offer any of those or do you have any of those in mind you were that you remember from that long ago? I do remember that for me, I have always actually been a drinker. I also have a long history with alcohol and I would say in my 20s I would I probably had a problem with it. So even with my history of drinking, I've always been a social drinker. I've been a party drinker. And so for me, I never really like drink at home. I would drink socially and out, but I wouldn't just drink at home. And I think after we were dating for months, then I started noticing, oh, he has gin and vodka and beer and whiskey and wine and all these options. And it was, it didn't matter what day of the week it was. We always were having a drink. We had a drink with dinner. We always cooked together. We always had a drink while we cooked. It was, then we would sit down on the couch and listen to music and we would have a glass of wine when we would do that. And at first I always thought you were hosting me. And I was always like, so Dustin's a little bit older than me. And I thought, oh, he's so mature. He like is such a good host. He's always got like the appropriate drink and he's always got the appropriate snacks. And then over time I was like, oh, we are always having drinks with every setting. At first I just didn't, I thought it was just dating. I thought you were, you know, entertaining me. And then over time I realized, oh, this isn't healthy. But then I think it started becoming a habit for me too. And it was like, kind of, it was fun. It felt celebratory. It didn't feel like it was affecting anything really negatively. 
until it did, until you would have a down spiral with your mental health and then the consumption would get stronger and the effects of the alcohol would bring you lower versus making you fun and in a good mood, it would make you just more depressed and more sad. There is a point, and I was at that point where the the drinking that makes you fun and exciting, that lasts for a while, but when you get to the point where I was, and that was a, quite a while ago, then it's just, uh, you know, an immediate mood changer for the worse. And the next day, you know, because then it's like, okay, you kind of would get in a bad mood when you were drinking, and then the next day it would be... I think your depression will be worse because obviously it's a depressant. That was, that's definitely the cycle that I went through for years. And it, you know, it's, you think about the amount of time that it consumes where somebody like you, who's been able to, you know, regulate or moderate your drinking, you know, when to say when you can actually go and have one glass of wine and be completely satisfied with that. I'm on the flip side of that. That's just the beginning. I'm thinking more of a bottle rather than a glass kind of thing. So, you know, that time consumption that it takes up something that I've been dealing with for years. And yeah, that's um, it's a total waste of time, just to put it plainly. Uh, let's move on to another thought that I had. And it's it's really about, uh, as I've mentioned previously, it was April 7th was my sober date, we'll say. That's the day I made the phone call to uh, sign up for the outpatient treatment. And we had talked about it in bits and pieces in the past, but uh, it was really at that time we were we came to the conclusion that, yep, this is absolutely what's supposed to happen, what needs to happen. And finally, in my mind, it was what was going to happen. So what was going through your mind during that time? Well, um, as you just said, the talk of treatment is something that came up maybe twice a year for the last, what do you think, three, four years? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what? before I answer that question, something that I, I want to say is that with, a, with your alcohol addiction, the cycles in our marriage were always you would get to this point where you would drink heavily, heavier and heavier and heavier, and it would reach a point where we would grow distant, we would not be communicating, and then you would do something that would really aggravate me and we would end up getting into this big discussion and it would be where I was like I can't do this with you with this drinking like it needs to stop you need to control it and for years we would have these conversations and you would come up with an idea with a plan it oftentimes looked like okay I'm not going to drink Monday through Thursday or I'm not going to drink Monday through Wednesday. And then on the weekends, on like Friday and Saturday, I'll, I can only have three drinks. And maybe Sunday I can just have like a Bloody Mary and a beer. And we would come up with this plan. I always knew it definitely didn't sound healthy, but I was like, <laughs> okay, if you can follow these rules, sure, let's try it. And sometimes you would follow it for like a few months, but sometimes you literally wouldn't even follow it for a week because there would always be 
be a reason, right? Like there would be a birthday party, there would be a vacation, a holiday, a really bad day, whatever it would be, there would be a really good day, a really good day, something to celebrate. Like we're selling our house. We bought a house. We're moving into our house. We got a dog. It, it didn't really matter. There was always a reason to drink. And so, so you would make this plan. I'm not going to drink other than these times and I'm going to drink this much. Then there would be a reason to break the rule. You'd break the rule and we'd be like, okay, but only this one time. And then it would maybe be another week. Maybe it would be another three weeks. There'd be another reason to break it. Eventually, then you would just start breaking the rules and we would stop acknowledging that you broke the rules. And then before we knew it, the rules weren't even talked about. And then I would see it happening where it would be like, okay, it's he's back on this pattern. He's drinking a lot. But every single time we went through the cycle, by the end, you were always drinking more than you were the last time you tried to quit or not quit, but reduce your alcohol. So when we would have these arguments at some point, I would say probably once June was about four, she's eight now, then it started being a thing where I was like, I don't think you can do this by yourself. And I don't think I can help you do it. I don't know how to help you do it. And I think you need to go to treatment. But I think we both knew if you went to treatment, that meant you can't drink at all. And you didn't want that, but honestly, neither did I. Like I Every, everybody wants a drinking buddy. And it it's such a huge part of our life. It's such a huge part of most people's lives here in America and in Minnesota. I mean, everything you do has alcohol involved and oftentimes it revolves around it. And so all of our friendships have definitely had a strong alcohol presence. So it was always like, well, I want you to quit drinking, but only in the way that is convenient. So as I always knew you probably needed to go to treatment, but as much as you weren't ready to completely cut it out of your life, I wasn't committed to that either, and I think that's why I never pushed it harder than I actually did until this time when it was apparent that that was the only option. And what I've learned, uh, to your point, is that there's no way at all I would have been able to do it myself. I tried. You know, I put together these ridiculous plans where, oh, this is totally how I'm going to cut back completely not being honest with myself about, man, you've got a problem. You can say, I'm not going to drink tonight, but at five o'clock, you're going to be cracking a beer. And in the back of your mind saying, why are you doing this? You said you weren't going to do it. Like those little things are the things that should be able to, to put it in perspective for yourself that, wow, this is, this is becoming an issue. But you know, that's not what I was able to be honest with myself about, you know, you're what you were saying about how I would drink and it would just increase. And then I would take my break and then it would increase again on my next episode. I'm going to talk a lot about that. Um, but that's exactly, it, it gets worse every time. But when we decided to, or when I decided to make that call, Obviously, it was a, a a decision that we worked on together, but I made the call. I went to treatment. I was 
confused and scared all at the same time, but slowly realized that for me, if this is how I quit, then it's worth every minute, every penny, because I can't quit by myself. I can't do the whole dry drunk thing. I have to have a community. I have to have a group. Uh, I have to have my supporters. One of the things that I think it might be worth mentioning is once we reached a point where we had gone through several cycles of your addiction, have all these rules, cut back, and then slowly or quickly, depending on the time, ramp it back up, within the last few of those cycles, it started to become a thing where the addiction reached another level where it was really affecting you in a lot of ways. I was seeing, looking at you, like your skin looked inflamed and your face and body started getting like puffy. Like it was like you were retaining water because you were so dehydrated all the time. So I feel like looking at you, you could tell that there was definitely something like you were getting sick and you talked about sleeping poorly. You would take Tums as if it was water. Like you, you're just downing Tums all the time. So you had acid reflux all the time and your back hurt and you just, you had so many physical issues that were very evident as the person living with you. It was being caused with your alcohol consumption. And the other thing was I was seeing how it was affecting you and your relationship, like whether it was your family or your friends, I was noticing it was happening more frequently when you would drink where you would get kind of angry, short, feeling misunderstood, not feeling respected, feeling interrupted. And so you were starting to be like rude or disrespectful to people that we were around. And I didn't feel like that was a common thing earlier on. And the other thing, and this is something that I tell people when I tell them that you're in treatment and or were in treatment and they ask me about it, the way that you were starting to act towards me changed too. Like you, you started being more like talking down and you started doing a little bit like of name calling and a lot of blaming, like everything, everything was blaming and you were, you would blame me for drinking. And once that started happening, that was when I was like, these are huge red flags. Like if you look up what is an alcoholic, all those things are on there. And also you were hiding your alcohol consumption. I knew it, but I couldn't prove it until the night that led to you calling the treatment center the next morning. But I knew you were lying and hiding it. And that was always something that I feel like both of us as human beings have always almost like prided ourselves in our honesty and, and how we, we don't lie. We, we don't cheat. We don't, we, we just, we don't do those things that are like in our opinions, like unethical, like we are ethical people and your alcohol addiction was at a level that I feel like your ethics were 
being compromised and not that you didn't have an addiction before that, but once that was happening, that is when it felt like, oh, if you don't get help, your life is going to spiral quick. So I feel like it would be nice if you would have done treatment before it got to that point. But thank goodness it happened at that point and we didn't just try to do another oh, we're going to make new rules because if that would have happened, I don't I don't think that we would have survived it. You know, I've I've talked a lot about what could have happened had I not chosen that route and quit. But if you really think about it, moving forward at the rate I was going, something bad was likely going to happen very soon. So it happened at, um, you know, maybe not what we want to call the right time, but in a sense, it happened at the right time and uh, kind of turned things around for me. And you also happened to join treatment at the most synchronized time because you truly had the most amazing group. You you had a group of men that were taking it as seriously as you were, and you all enjoyed each other's time and really supported one another. I couldn't have asked for a better group to uh, recover with than, than the one I was a part of and am really still a part of today. Yeah, so as we've mentioned, uh, I went through the treatment program, and you know, I, I, I can mention that um, what I did was I went through the Hazelden Betty Ford Clinic uh, intensive outpatient program. It was a nighttime thing, Um, but that's what I did through my treatment process. Worked wonders for me. Um, But what I did wanted to ask um, is how do you think it's going for me? Do you see positive changes? What are some of the highlights that you're seeing um, as I continue down this uh, recovery path? So one thing that I noticed immediately was that you would come home from group and you would talk and you would talk about what you learned. You talked about what other people had to say. You talked about what you shared. You talked about real things, real things that matter. And I felt like that was something that we had lost at some point in our marriage. I don't know when. And it happened week after week after every treatment um, therapy session. You would just talk. And a lot of it was self-discovery. And a lot of it was learning about mindfulness, learning about being aware of your decisions and your choices and learning coping skills that are healthy. It was, as a person who really loves all things self-help, for me, it was amazing. I was like, what is happening? Like, he's talking about all the things that I have been learning about for years, and he's interested in these things. This is amazing. So that was really awesome and continues to be really awesome. I also remember we have had our daughter in many different camps throughout the summer. And one morning, my daughter, our daughter, likes to have, she doesn't like to do it. She does do it. She has insane tantrums sometimes about the piano because she's a perfectionist. And this one morning, she had a 
crazy meltdown because she probably played one note wrong. And I was trying to deal with it and then it wasn't working. And then Dustin tried dealing with it. It wasn't working. And ultimately he lost it. And I didn't know this, but before we left, he had apologized to June and had told her that he knew that he shouldn't have responded to her that way. And although he wasn't okay with the, her response to playing piano wrong, he was sorry for his behaviors. That probably wasn't that unusual. But then I brought June to camp, and when I got back in my car, I had a text from him that said, I realized I apologized to June for my behavior, but I actually also owe you an apology. I'm sorry for something like creating that mood this morning. I know that I can do better. I deserve better. June deserves better. And so do you. So I'm sorry. And like something like I promise to do better. That was the first time in our marriage that you have ever done something like that. Like I read it and I was like, that is the most emotionally aware and mature thing you possibly have ever done. And I feel like those are the types of things that keep happening. We might be get into a little bit of a discussion or a heated argument, and then maybe we need a day to blow off the steam, but then you say, do you want to talk? Should we talk about our feelings? And we talk about our feelings. Open communication like that was never part of our marriage. And I think you learned that through treatment. And now... I feel like you don't have that. There's not always a little bit of alcohol in your system too. So it's like we have the space to talk about it where previously, eventually it's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. And then we've had a couple drinks and then there was no point in talking about anything. So I feel like that for us as a couple has changed in a major way. And also I do see... Like when we have been out socially or even if we're just like out at a concert without friends, I've noticed you're way better and in my opinion, more enjoyable to talk to than when you were drinking. Like I thought maybe you wouldn't be fun in social settings and I totally think you're better. I think you're more fun. I think you're more enjoyable. So I mean, there's a lot of different ways that I've seen improvements, but you mean to tell me that I'm not the drunk, awesome, funny guy that I thought I was. <laughs> I mean, you were that sometimes, <laughs> let's be honest. Another quick question before we get out of here today, but you know, I think it's again, like I mentioned, the reason I started this podcast is because I wanted to tell my story and I wanted folks who might have questions, but don't know who to ask to be able to hear it and I'm willing to be open and honest about it, but I think that's going to help in thinking, you know, kind of giving, doing a self-assessment, like, do I have a problem? Do I need to seek some sort of treatment? You don't have to do what I did because it may not work for you. Whatever it is you choose is just fine, but at least I can offer some sort of insight into that. Do you have any sort of thoughts or um, maybe advice even to offer up for folks who might be in that situation we were in a few months ago where they 
think they might have a spouse or a partner who who could use some treatment of some sort? You know, I don't know exactly what would is the right thing to do. I do think that if you are asking yourself, does he or does she have a problem? I honestly think the answer is probably yes. And I do think one thing that I always used to do that looking back, I shouldn't have done. I would just kind of go along to make things more, I don't know, less of a fight. I would, I would drink with you because I knew that if I didn't, you would get kind of upset or annoyed because I think then it made you feel guilty for drinking or it made me notice your drinking. And I wish on those nights when I was like, you know what? I don't want to have a glass of wine tonight. I, I wish I would have not had that glass of wine. I, cause I feel like in a way I was actually contributing to your addiction because I didn't really stand up for what I believed in as much as I should have. Um, and the other thing I would say is I agree with you. I don't think everybody needs to go through treatment. I think everybody needs to kind of assess and evaluate and make the right decision for themselves and their families. However, if, if someone you love is at a point where you think that they've already tried other things and it hasn't worked, they need outside help. I think if you even just learn a little bit, go online, check out stuff with treatment centers, learn something about them so that way you don't have a fear of it. I think I I wish I would have pushed that further previously because there's nothing about you being in recovery that even makes me second guess for one half of a second if it was the right decision. I I would have loved for it to have happened sooner, but that wasn't what was meant to be, I guess. Great. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I think, you know, just exactly what you said, if, if you're starting to question it, the answer is probably yes. And I think that's absolutely what has been happening for quite some time in this relationship. So I do appreciate you taking some time to come and chat with me and everyone else who's listening today. I think your your thoughts, your comments, your uh, insights were all very helpful. And it's also helpful for me to hear some of this stuff again. It's part of my recovery process. But the next time you come on, because you will be coming on again, great job on your first time ever being recorded and interviewed. But the next time you come on, I want to talk more about how you were affected by the addiction, like maybe basically reverse this conversation. And we'll talk a little bit uh, about your feelings and how it worked for you. So would you be cool with that? I think that I'm cool with that. (laughs) I think that I'm cool with that. (laughs) Well, that's going to do it for today. On the next episode, like I mentioned earlier, I'm going to take a little deeper dive into my own road to sobriety. Uh, And to do that, we're going to go back and take a look at some of the habits that I had created that were uh, very clear signs that I was headed in the wrong direction. 
So don't forget to follow the podcast on Spotify so you can be in the loop when a new episode is available. Uh, You can also visit my website, SoberTwinCitiesPodcast.com for updates. I have some recovery resources there as well. And if you want to reach out to me, you can use the contact page or you can just simply use the email address, SoberTwinCitiesPodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you're hip and cool and you want to follow along on Instagram, at Sober Twin Cities Podcast is where you can find me there. Thanks so much for listening today and for the amazing support that you've shown me and the show thus far. Very, very much appreciated. So with gratitude, we'll see you next time on the Sober Twin Cities Podcast. Podcast.